I'm sure we've all heard the hadith, Man Whoever protects his brother's honor, Allah protects his face from the fire on judgment day. So yes, I'm sure we've heard this hadith, but do we realize that this applies to defending the honor of the Prophet as well? Yes, he is our Prophet, but he is also our brother in Islam. You could say it that way as well. And therefore, he is the most deserving of having his honor protected. And we know that one of the most popular attacks against his character, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, is to call him a pedophile. A'udhu Billah. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about his marriage to our mother, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. The first question that we have to ask is a very simple question. What is a child? So throughout all of human history, you find that a child would become an adult or be considered an adult roughly around the age of seven. This is actually in the Catholic law. It was, it was standard procedure throughout all of Europe and throughout the rest of the world that around that age. But you have to ask yourself why. Why was that the case? Simply because when a person can function as an adult, that's when they're considered an adult when they can function as such. And so the question is, what are the factors that go into somebody being considered an adult? There are two. One is biological and the other is social. The biological factor is you go through puberty and you have the ability to reproduce, therefore you are biologically an adult. And the social one is having the ability to speak fluently and thus having completed their basic education. That's what a formal education used to be for all of human history. Yes, I know nowadays is different, but throughout all of human history, if you were able to communicate and speak clearly. Most human beings throughout history did not have what? Going to math class and going to learning how to read and write and so on and so forth. No, if you could communicate clearly and if you had physically gone through puberty, that was being considered an adult. So we have to remember this, that in the pre-industrialized world, there was no government mandated compulsory education. That did not exist. Historically, kids had to work to contribute to food production as early as possible. And the vast majority of people would grow up on farms and therefore they had to learn the necessities of living as in learning how to farm take care of you know the farming and then also learning how to speak clearly and communicate then by the age of puberty they had already experienced a few years of working, speaking, taking care of their younger, younger siblings, taking care of their younger cousins, taking care of their flocks, their animals, their riding beasts, and therefore they were as functional as other adults were. That's how the world worked for pretty much all of human history. So the big question we have to ask ourselves is what? When did this change? Why was there a change to this standard system? Well, we could look at how in 1852, Massachusetts was the first US state to pass compulsory universal public education law. So this is a very important concept, that this is not very old. This is you know, over 100 years, but not much more than that. SubhanAllah, that they started what? This idea of there has to be a, a mandated public education system. Then by, you can see, how, how once that was established, immediately after, you see this domino effect, which is what? That once this uh, universal public education law was established by 1880, not even 30 years later, many Western nations had established an age of consent that was for the first time typically between 12 or 13 years old. Then you go a few more years after that, roughly 40 years after that, you have in 1920. Uh, you have 26 states in the United States having the age of consent at 16, 21 states at the age of 18, and only one state at the age of 14. So what is the point of mentioning all this? Why am I trying to emphasize this point? What am I trying to emphasize? That the concept of childhood is made of two halves. The scientific 
One is based on biology, which is puberty, and then the social one is a social construct. It is based on basic education, and basic education shifts throughout social norms throughout history, throughout time, throughout place. This isn't some conspiracy, and this is definitely not based on what? What Islam has enforced or based on Islamic norms and customs and laws, no. This is just a fact of human history, a fact of life. That once you've gone through puberty and once you've finished your basic education, what else are you waiting for? The fact is, basic education changes drastically based on what time period we're talking about. So I hope that point is very clear. You can't take a look at history through the lenses of today because we are shaped very differently. Now, now that we've talked about the historical aspect, let's take a look at Islamic law. Specifically four conditions I wanna take a look at when it comes to marriage. The first one is that in Islam, the woman's body and the, 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 you have to have reached puberty. You have to be physically ready. Your body biologically has to be saying, I'm ready. So alhamdulillah, check mark number one is already there. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala says, And test the orphans in their ability until they re reach the marriageable age. Allah Ta'ala describes the marriageable age. So there is an age at which you're supposed to uh, be actually ready for marriage. When you look into the, the tafsir of this ayah, what does it mean reaching marriageable age? You take a look at Qurtubi and others, they understand this in the light of the surah, surah nur ayah number 59, in which Allah Ta'ala says, and using the same word balagha, Allah says, When the children amongst you reach puberty. And so, based on the, this ayah, the fact that the balagha is being used in both cases, Mufassirin say it seems quite evident that reaching puberty is part of the necessities in order to actually engage in intercourse. This is nothing shocking, because obviously that's what puberty is. It's your body saying, I'm able to reproduce. So that is definitely a necessity. But this is also corroborated with more evidence, which is from who? From Aisha herself, where she says what? Allah's Messenger married me when I was six years old, and I was admitted into his house when I was nine years old. What does this imply? It implies that yes, you can get married like in terms of just a contract, even before the children exist. I mean, there could be two women that say, if I have a boy and if you have a girl, we're gonna get them married together, inshallah. Like the idea of making a promise, that's fine. You can do that even before the children exist. However, when it comes to the actualization of marriage, when it comes to the actual intercourse of them living together and being together, you have to wait. Why else did the Prophet wait these three years? It's obviously very evident that he was waiting until she had fully become a woman. And this is furthermore even clarified by the fact that Aisha, she says that she had already been going through puberty when her parents started practicing Islam. She says what? I had, not, I had seen my parents following Islam since I attained the age of puberty. So whether she had gone through puberty at six or seven or maybe eight, whatever the case is, she was already developing as a woman. Then by the age of nine, it was like, okay, you're fully developed. You can now enter into the house of the Prophet now, that's point number one. The body must be ready. What's point number two? Consent of the girl herself. In Islam, we do not allow someone to say, I'm gonna marry my daughter off, and she has no say in the matter. That is not allowed. She has to feel personally mature and ready for this transition in her life. Why? Because the Prophet says what? لا تنكح الأيم حتى تستأمر ولا تنكح البكر حتى تستأذن قالوا يا رسول الله وكيف إذنها قال أن تسكت. That the Prophet says, a previously married woman 
shouldn't be given in marriage except without consulting her. You have to talk to her first. And she has to voice that I'm willing to marry this man if she's been married before. And a virgin girl who's never been married before must be given in marriage only after she gives her permission. And the Sahaba, they asked, well, what do you mean by giving her permission? And she said, as long as she is silent. And I've been in this situation before where I ask a sister, are you sure you're interested in this guy? And she's just very shy. Why? Young girl, virgin girl, and she doesn't want to say, yes, I like him. Yes, I want to be with him. You know, she, she's too shy to say it and verbalize it. Therefore, she just remains quiet. And therefore, you're supposed to take that as an indication that, yes, she's interested in talking to this individual and seeing where it goes. So, uh, a consent is a must. Point number one, the body's ready. Point number two, the girl herself, she feels ready. Point number three is what? That you have to get consent of the guardian. This is the socialization aspect. We talked about how being an adult based, is based on your body and about socialization. Who better to decide other than the parents who number one, live in the society that you're in, and two, have the girl's interest in mind, number one. Clearly they know society because they live there, and number two, they obviously want the best for their daughter. And therefore, you have to have the guardian's permission. As the Prophet says, la nikah illa biwaliyin. There is no marriage except with the guardian. You have to have the guardian, whether it's the parents or whether the parents have passed away, then perhaps it's the uncle or grandfather and so on and so forth. And the fourth point that I want to mention about uh, uh, the the uh, uh, qualifications and the conditions for marriage is that there should be no harm. Some people say if you get married to a girl who's young, even if she's gone through puberty, maybe her body is still not physically ready. Well, technically that's true for all ages. A woman can be in her 20s, in her 30s, and her body's not ready. So what do we say about all of that? We say regardless of the age, if there's any reason for concern, you should check with a specialist. Why? Because in Islam, we're very particular to make sure that there is no harm that is done. Why? For a number of reasons. For example, Allah Ta'ala tells us, don't kill yourselves. So if it's going to harm your body, if the child growing inside you is going to harm you or kill you, then clearly this is not permissible. Secondly, Allah, uh, the Prophet says what? There is no harm nor the reciprocation of harm. So if there's any reason to believe that this is going to cause harm to anybody involved, then obviously these fiqh factor, this has to factor into the verdict. And of course, even more specifically, the Prophet says what? Men tatabba walam yu'lam the Prophet says, whoever gives medical treatment with no prior knowledge of medicine is responsible for any harm that takes place. It's a very heavy hadith, which means what? That if somebody says, oh, I'm going to marry her, I know she's young, but just trust me, she'll be okay. But you're not a specialist. You're giving a medical verdict without any medical background. And you're just saying, just don't worry about it. It's okay. Then you are responsible. So in Islam, when it comes to the danger for the child, we take this very, very seriously. We always ask the specialist, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, uh, in kuntum la ask the specialist if you don't know. Now, a question may come up. Brother, are you suggesting that we marry our daughters off at a young age, like right after puberty? No, I'm not suggesting that. Why? Because alhamdulillah, in Islam, there is a well-known legal maxim, a qa'ida fiqhiyyah, which is what? Al-ada muhakkama. Al-ada muhakkama, which means what? That custom is authoritative. Custom is authoritative. This is proven by many ayat and many ahadith. What am I talking about? We know that before we give a legal verdict, we take our customs and our context into consideration. This is well known. Whether it's a dowry, 
and the sister is wondering, how much should I charge for the dowry? We would say, take a look at your context, take a look at your socioeconomic status, and therefore you can decide what is appropriate. Same thing with child support. Allah says, The wealthy man has to give according to his means, and the man who has wealth restricted, the poor man, he has to give within his means. And furthermore, Allah says, when it comes to treatment to the spouse, be with your, live with your wives, bil ma'roof. Ma'roof means what? Well-known good. And well-known good is going to differ from country to country, from place to place, because what is well-known in this society as normal is going to be different from another society. Therefore, all these ayat or ahadith, they're implying what? And there's many others, that custom is actually authoritative. Al-Ada Muhakkama. And therefore, since we're living in a time and in a place where young people need more time to become mature, then we give them more time to become mature, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We take our we take our context into consideration, and there is no problem whatsoever. So inshallah ta'ala will continue with this topic and we'll talk about herself, the Woman in question, our mother Aisha, we'll talk about her in the second khutbah. Some will object and say, no, she was too young, and we know this because she herself says in a hadith, I used to play with dolls with, in the presence of the Prophet. I used to just have my friends over and we used to play with dolls. Oh, see, she was playing with dolls. She was playing with toys. She must have been too young. How do we respond to this accusation? We would say in response, look around you. There are plenty of adults that play with toys. How many kids play video games in their 20s and 30s? How many people play board games? How many people collect toys? SubhanAllah, this is a weak argument, number one. And number two, if you really want to think about it, if she was older and more mature, and she's saying, I used to play with my friends, she could be describing what? Like a babysitting situation. You know, when people babysit, they have their friends over and they play with dolls with them. It doesn't mean that they're children themselves, but they're playing kids' games, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So this just goes to show that if somebody objects to this, they really have a very limited imagination. Furthermore, the Prophet said that his marriage to Aisha was what? Was prescribed by Allah Ta'ala. Now, if it truly was prescribed by Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, we'd, we'd expect that she would have a very important role in Islamic history. Whereas if the Prophet was a charlatan and was just lying, then we would expect that he makes this claim just to get the bride, and then following that would be nothing remarkable. That's what you would expect. And yet, subhanAllah, miraculously, amazingly, what do we find? Yes, she did play an incredible role, an absolutely necessary role throughout history, which is what? We know that Aisha, anha, she conveyed over 2,200 hadith, which is more than any other woman, and is more than every man other than Abu Huraira, Abdullah ibn Umar, and Anas ibn Malik. She is number four when it comes to the list of who conveyed the most ahadith. So was it just a coincidence that the Prophet said she's going to play an extremely important role, specifically living with the Prophet describing the ahkam and the rulings that let us know about the private life of the Prophet something that the men could not know about, you know, things within the household. So that is the truth of the matter. So there was a claim and the claim was fulfilled in a, you could say, miraculous manner. Furthermore, Imam Zarkashi, he has a book called Al-Ijaba, which is a compilation of each instance in which Aisha, she corrected one of the Sahaba, which means that she was what? She was a teacher, she was a genius, she was a scholar. She was, she, the whole book of just every time she said, no, that's not the right ruling, I'm gonna correct you, here's the hadith. So clearly she played an incredibly important role. So to reduce our mother Aisha to simply a small number, you are just somebody that was just a wife, SubhanAllah, this is, you could say, 
really the epitome of sexism. To reduce somebody's great historical role to just a number is ridiculous. Furthermore, you would typically find that victims of abuse have certain characteristics. They lack in confidence, they're confused, they're voiceless, they're weak. And yet, subhanAllah, you find that the character of Aisha was exactly the opposite, confident, assertive, and outspoken. Therefore, if the disbeliever wants to claim that she was a victim, then the burden of evidence is on the claimant. Al-bayina al-mudda'i. Furthermore, Aisha radha was from a wealthy family. You can't claim that, oh, this was out of desperation just for money, because that doesn't work. She was from a well-to-do family. And furthermore, we know that the Prophet spent his younger years married to who? Khadija radha And he could have, obviously in his later years, after marrying multiple women, he could have easily said, I'm only going to take the young ones and the beautiful ones. I'm not going to marry anything other than that. And yet, what do you find? SubhanAllah, he married all of the women that he married were either widowed or divorced. And the only one that was the exception to that was Aisha radha And he said, there's a special role she's going to play. And she did, in fact, play a very special role throughout Islamic history. So that prophecy was fulfilled. Additional factors to consider, because we don't want to always just play uh, defense, we also have to play a little offense and really ask people, do you even know what you're talking about? Let's think logically here. Do we, are we aware of the fact that stress is linked to accelerated puberty or early onset puberty? Don't you think it was more stressful 1400 years ago than it is today? Of course it was. We have so many modern conveniences. And therefore, it's only reasonable to assume that people had to mature a lot faster over a thousand years ago. Very obvious. So for us, in our context, to judge them back then, really we have no idea what we're talking about. Number two, the average life expectancy about a thousand years ago was what? About the age of 35. Do you really think it's wise for us in our context to be judging them and saying, why are you uh, getting married early and having children early? You need to enjoy your life and wait and take your time. SubhanAllah, what are you talking about? People weren't sure if they were going to live that long. So the body is hurrying things up and get mature faster. Why? Have your children so that when you pass on, you've already passed on your genetics. These are natural uh, incentives coming from the body itself. Furthermore, in ancient times, if you don't grow your numbers, if you don't get married early and have lots of children, you'll be invaded by rival tribes and perhaps be wiped out. Therefore, getting married young was protection against raids and enslavement. So who are we to second guess their decision throughout all of human history? Not just the Arab world, not the Muslim world. I'm talking about all of human history. This is the standard way it was. So you had numbers just for the sake of survival. This problem that we're suffering from is called the fallacy of presentism. The idea of thinking that everything now has to be applied back then. Also, you can call it the, the problem of looking at the world anachronistically, out of its own chronology. This is the problem that we are suffering from. And furthermore, just a small factor, we have to remember that back then there wasn't much entertainment or distractions like we have today, all the devices that we have that kids get involved in. And so therefore, once a young person who, keep in mind, was very healthy and very active and therefore probably very virile as well, this young person, once they hit puberty, what happens? There's not much else to distract them. And so therefore, telling them just wait and wait and wait is what? It's actually better instead to get them married instead of them just committing zina, fornication. And furthermore, we have to ask the non-Muslim and put them in the hot seat and put the question to them and say, isn't it strange that there was no society in all of history, no great teachers, no prophets, no philosophers, no holy books, and we can go through all the quotes of different holy books, but not for today, that's too long. None of these things ever had a problem with young people getting married before the pre-industrialized world. Was everybody immoral back then? Are we so arrogant to think that we're the only ones who have basic concerns for our kids? while everybody else throughout all of human history was inconsiderate of their own children, of their own daughters? What type of a mentality must you have? How arrogant must you be and self-centered to think such a thing? Or is it possible that our thinking is slightly biased? And furthermore, we have to keep in mind 
that attacks against the Prophet started at the outset of Islam. They were calling him Kahin Majnoon, they were calling him crazy and a soothsayer, they were calling him all kinds of things, Sahir, they were calling him all kinds of nicknames. And yet, despite the fact that the Prophet has been attacked throughout all of his, his lifetime and then history beyond, we find what? We find that this particular attack only started, only began roughly somewhere around 100 years ago. Is that another coincidence that nobody found a problem with it? Not even the Quraysh, not even the Europeans, not even the Crusaders, literally nobody throughout all of history had a problem with this marriage except for a few hundred years ago. You have to be a little bit logical and say, what changed? And like we said, it is this idea of a standardized education that you're only an adult once you're finished it. Prior to that, the standard education was what? You can speak, you can work, you're an adult. That's the way it was, not in just the Muslim world, everywhere. We have to be intelligent about these things. Yes, it seems to be uh, an attack on the Prophet It's not just an attack on the Prophet it's an attack on everybody's values. Everybody in the traditional ancient world, and yet it only seems to be concentrated on one person. This is the hypocrisy. In this society, it seems to be that there's this insistence on the number of 18, despite many facts. For example, the age of consent has changed many times. As we said, sometimes it was 12 and 13, sometimes in the 14, then 16, then 18. It keeps changing. W why? What, what rational reason can you give? We have to put them on the defensive instead of us always being in the hot seat. Furthermore, no child magically transforms on their birthday for any of these arbitrary numbers. There's no such thing as, oh, I hit my birthday and now I just transformed. So what exactly are you basing this on? If you're gonna criticize me, you have to actually have a position. Furthermore, Islam is for all times and all places. The only reason we'd insist on a specific age like 18 nowadays is because we can't imagine that for most of human history, many people weren't even sure of their age. I'm sure you guys probably know some people that came here to the United States from another country and you ask them, what's your birthday? They're like, uh, January 1st. <laughs> you know, you guys know people like this? Why? Because they don't know. They don't know their birthday. They don't know their, their exact age. That's how it was for the past 1400 years in all of societies. People don't know their exact age. So this idea of, no, Islam should have insisted on 18. You have no idea what you're talking about. That's not the way the world works. Even if you insist, even if they did know their age, it's easy to lie about your age. Nowadays, we have these unforgeable documents called birth certificates, but back then they didn't have that. You can just lie about your age. It makes so much more sense. It's so much more practical that Islam teaches us to examine the person themselves. Are you actually an adult? Have you gone through puberty? Or do you know how to speak? And are you actually clear of mind and thought? And do you have the responsibility to take care of yourself as opposed to some arbitrary number? Would you condemn your entire lineage? Most people would say, no, I wouldn't condemn my entire lineage. Okay, then why do you condemn the Prophet Last few points are what? Many U.S. states don't even have a minimum age of marriage. So why aren't these people protesting? Do you guys see the double standard? I'm not talking about 1400 years ago when the context made more sense. No, forget about that context. In our context today, there are many states in the United States that don't have a minimum age of marriage. Did you know nearly 300,000 minors were legally married in the U.S. between the years 2000 and 2018? This is from a study from 2021. 300,000 minors are being, getting married in this country alone. Nobody bats an eye. Nobody's talking about it, it's not an issue. Why? Because it's legal on the books. The moment you mention the Prophet when the context made so much more sense, no, no, now this is a problem. Let's keep going. If you have neighbors, let's say right now, today, you have neighbors that you can see that their minors are you know, inviting their friends and they're sexually active and they're even having orgies and you're worried about unwanted pregnancies, you're worried about these young kids uh, uh, having uh, STDs, whatever the case is. You call the police and you say, police, I want you to go over there and I don't know, give the parents a fine or take the kids to juvenile detention, something. There are no laws. There are no laws against this zina even when the kids are minors. So subhanAllah, what exactly is going on? It seems that there's a, lock, uh, there's a lack of laws here and now 
now. So why are they so offended about our Prophet when in that context, it made so much more sense and the youth were so much more mature. And furthermore, it wasn't zina. It wasn't irresponsible. It was actually a dedicated, a committed marriage. Big difference. And so the answer of why the double standard is very straightforward. This is to paint Muslim men as aggressive, abusive savages and to paint our Muslim women as helpless victims which justifies wars, invasions, and taking of natural resources. Guys, don't be fooled. This is all part of a larger plan to paint a picture that is supposed to demonize us. Therefore, when they get killed, it's just a number. 10,000 people died. Oh, whatever, just a, just a number. Why? They're kind of weird anyway. They're kind of savages. When it's happening in your backyard, oh, nobody bats an eye. Your neighbors, this is happening, not through marriage, through haram means, I still don't care. SubhanAllah, truly ridiculous how, how strong the double standards are. Society is supposedly uncomfortable with the idea of a girl getting married before 18, and yet, did you know? They're so uncomfortable, you're gonna get married before 18? Oh, this is a big problem. Did you know that 40 to 50% of high school kids have had intercourse? 40 to 50% of high school kids have had intercourse. So what exactly, what are you doing about this? Furthermore, the average age that a child sees hardcore pornography is 10 years old in this country, which is legal, by the way. It's free, it's online, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Furthermore, there are no laws against the sexualization of children's clothing. You can produce, you know, there are these, what are they called? The child beauty pageants on, uh, uh, that you could watch. And they're, they're sexualizing young kids and putting makeup on them and putting all, I don't even want to go into detail, but that's perfectly legal. And there are countless TV shows and movies about teens that encourage, that are encouraging what? Sexual activity. All this is legal. Well, and when they have sex, that's legal. All that's fine. And if they get STDs and, and, and pregnancies, oh, that's your problem, maybe get an abortion. The moment you say, can we just have them get married? They have raging hormones. Can we just marry them off? Whoa, 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 whoa. extremist. Even if it was 1400 years ago, still an extremist. Even if they had, uh, what's it called, mortality rates that were 35 years old, uh, average age life, uh, uh, average age expectancy. Even if it was for their own survival and so many different reasons, still unacceptable. This is an incredible, incredibly amazing double standard. So society is just fine with haram zina, fornication, yet offended by marriage. And as I mentioned earlier, subhanAllah, there is a social and biological factor to determining childhood. This idea, it's not just biologically determined, it's also a social construct depending on when you consider education to be done and the person's ready for the world. But subhanAllah, in our current society, we've pushed the social readiness for marriage so far beyond the biological readiness that they hardly overlap anymore. It's, 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 it's amazing. People are going through puberty. And they think, oh, even though my body's ready, no, no, I'm not mentally ready. I gotta finish high school. Okay, no problem. Well, I gotta get my bachelor's. Okay, no problem. I gotta get my master's too. Okay, no problem. I gotta get the PhD. Okay, no problem. And well, I have to have a few years of, of working so I can be an independent individual. You know, I gotta work and get my own things going. Did you know, subhanAllah, listen to this number. 80% of the women that are past the age of childbirth and who do not have any children actually plan to have kids. So imagine this, you take all the women that never had any kids and they're past the age of having children. You're thinking to yourself, you probably thought, to, you, you're, you're probably thinking, I never wanted kids anyway. I'm past the age and I never had children, why? Because I never wanted it. No, actually, if you go and do a survey, 80% of them are saying what? It just happened faster than I expected. You know, I was just so busy with uh, going to school uh, and then the, the, the age of maturity that I was taught Directly or indirectly is no, you're not ready after high school. No, you're not ready after your bachelor's or your master's or your PhD or after you got a few years of work. You have to work, 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 work. And then eventually they get to a point where my biology is started and over. 
Now, were they dating? Sure, I had plenty of boyfriends. Sure, I slept, slept around plenty, but I never felt ready, even though I felt ready for sex, even though I felt ready for lots of things, I never felt ready for a family. And so you pushed it back to the point that the biology came and went, that window closed, and now they're thinking, now I'm socially ready. So is this society, the way we're thinking and the way we're dealing with humanity, are we really the best to judge people 1400 years ago when our biology and social, uh, social um, factors are so out of sync and out of tune? I don't think that we're in the best position to be doing so, and Allah knows best. In conclusion, last point, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what? That the Prophet is more worthy of the believers than themselves, and his wives are their mothers. Allah ta'ala tells us that these are our mothers, and therefore, if you want the title of mu'min, if you want to be from amongst al-mu'mineen, then you need to see Aisha radiallahu anha as what? As your mother. And if you do see Aisha radiallahu anha as your mother, you should never be ashamed of her. Rather, you should be proud to talk about her. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who are true mu'mineen. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Allahumma ahdina fi man hadayt, wa aafina fi man aafayt, wa tawallana fi man tawallayt, wa barak lana fi ma a'atayt, wa qina sharra ma qadayt, fa innaka taqdi wa la yuqda alayk, innahu la yadhillu man walid, wa la ya'izzu man a'adit, barakta rabbana wa ta'alayt, rabbana atina fi dunya hasana, wa fi al-akhirati hasana, wa qina a'adha bin nar, wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad wa ala alayhi wa sallam, tassimi kathira wa aqmi s-salam.